This morning, we are joining with churches and ministries all around the world in celebrating Orphan Sunday. We don't do this because it's just another nice ministry to add to an already busy church calendar. We do this because its focus lies at the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we have another grace story to share with you this morning. Grace stories are snapshots from very real lives, uh, typically sitting next to you here on Sunday morning, uh, usually from GRC members. They're stories of struggles with faith or uh, battles with temptation or recovery from some sort of relational brokenness. But they're also stories that have experienced the grace of God in providing a measure of resurrection power to promise that one day God will make all things new. Today, for Orphan Sunday, we've invited Carl Dinkler, who is the Director of Communications for the National Foster Care Initiative of the Christian Alliance for Orphans. Long title. Uh, But Carl is passionate both professionally and personally to see God fulfill His promise in Psalm 68.6, to set the lonely in families. That's the theme verse from which we get our name, Refuge 686. And that heart of God is at work in Carl's family even now. And the story's focus is on a Dinkler daughter named Violet. Thanks for being with us, Carl. Thank you. I'm sorry. Well, good morning. Uh, it's truly, truly an honor to be here and uh, be able to share a little bit about this story and something that is just incredibly near and dear to my heart. Um, I'm here as a very green adoptive parent. We officially started on our adoption journey about two years ago and are into this beautiful and sometimes challenging adventure as adoptive parents a little over four months. So in sharing the story, I will not and cannot attempt to pretend to know what I do not know as we're very much in this honeymoon phase of bringing our daughter home. Um, Not knowing fully what is ahead of us, but that's okay because what I do know is this, that our God, who has radically and significantly altered my life in the process of adopting, is a sovereign and faithful God. For me and my family, the decision to adopt was a fairly easy one. Before we were married, my wife Nicole and I both knew that God wanted to use adoption to someday grow our family. See, growing up, we independently envisioned that our future family would reflect the makeup of heaven, a great multitude of every nation, as the book of Revelation puts it. Uh, What this really would look like, we didn't know, but we felt from a very young age that the Lord was calling us towards international adoption. And as far as the great multitude, we'll be taking that one child at a time. Uh, But in essence, for Nicole and me, adoption was a prerequisite for a spouse. While we didn't know the circumstances in which God would use this, it was something that we'd prayed about long before and throughout our marriage. After having two biological children, our prayers became more intense to follow through with God's plan. And in November of 2015, Nicole and I, along with our two children, Brody and Joya, set out to start the adoption process. But little did I know then that God was not going to just let me prepare to take in and love on my future daughter. He was profoundly altering my heart in this process, showing me that I was meant and created for more. Everywhere I looked, whether in my daily quiet time, reading the Word, or listening to sermon series on my long drive into work, or in the immersion of adoption education for our home study, God was continuing to stir something deep within me. For almost a decade, I had been working tirelessly for a private investment organization, crafting designed experiences and communications for the world's elite. Over those 10 years, I learned business and strategy, design and communication, and countless other skills and talents associated with marketing a portfolio of luxury assets. And don't get me wrong, those 10 years were incredibly rich. I love what I did, and I'm so thankful to have had the experiences I've had and to learn what I've learned and from who I've learned them from. 
but I simply couldn't shake it. It's hard to put into words, but God was clearly wanting me to now take what I've learned and use it to serve him for the sake of the gospel. And though the calling was clear, I didn't see any opportunities to immediately act. It was around this time when God brought the world's largest summit focused on Christian care for orphans, foster youth, and other vulnerable children to our home church in Orlando. Looking back now, it all seems pretty crazy, but in the same year that I began uh, our adoption, and at the peak of wrestling with my vocational calling, we had this summit right in our town, in my own very own backyard. We were not even five to ten minutes into the main keynote. On the first night of the conference, and overwhelmed, I turned to Nicole and I said, this is it. This is where I feel called to be. This is what I want to do. Long story short, in January of 2017, God provided in only ways that he can to have me become a part of the Christian Alliance for Orphans. I am now able to use and grow my talents alongside an incredible gifted team that educates and inspires and equips 200 member organizations and 650 plus member churches to effectively live out God's heart to care for the orphan and vulnerable child. Fast forward to March 2017, a few months into working at CAFO and about six months of waiting to be matched for our referral for our child, we received a call for our precious little girl. And her story is a spectacular one. The, the day she was born, she was found at the steps of an orphanage, medically fragile due to a severe bilateral cleft lip and palate that greatly affected her ability to eat. At only five months old, she weighed a mere 4.8 pounds, weak and feeble, yet still so radiant and beautiful, um, showing a smile in every picture that we've seen of her. At her weakest state, God brought a very special doctor named Jacob into her life, and during our review of her file, we were miraculously connected um, with Dr. Jacob, who graciously talked to Nicole and me for hours one evening about the adoption process, the details of her palate, and how to expect the unexpected, adopting a child with ongoing medical needs. And we are so thankful for his phone call. So he couldn't speak more highly of the nannies and orphanage director that were caring for this little girl, but they simply didn't have the resources that she needed at that time to thrive. She was slowly dying, so he and others on the medical team advocated on her behalf to move her to a Love Without Boundaries healing home. It was at this healing home where she received the name Violet. It was also there that she received more frequent feedings, eventually allowing her to gain the much-needed weight to receive a critical surgery from cleft exchange doctors to repair her lip, ultimately enabling her to feed more easily on her own. As Dr. Jacob put it on our call, upon her transfer to that medical home, Violet began to blossom and to thrive. Thus, one of the reasons we kept her beautiful name. On June 14, 591 days after starting the adoption process, and on Violet's second birthday, we traveled to China to meet and bring home our daughter. And she immediately fit right in. This girl, this amazing, resilient, and treasurable little girl has embodied joy for our family. She's an incredible blessing to us. She loves to smile, loves to cuddle, loves to accessorize in necklaces, bracelets, bows, and sunglasses, and especially loves to have dance parties in the living room with her brother and sister. Her personality and zeal for life is contagious. We have been amazed and awed at how visible God has made himself through this process and through faithfully following his lead. There is so much that is out of our control when we take in and take on a vulnerable child. For, uh, and for Nicole and me, our reliance on him has become deeper than anything we could have anticipated. Through all of this, he has drawn us closer to his heart. See, God called our family to adopt and for me to make a significant vocational change. And though he doesn't call everyone to do the same, he does call us all as Christians to be doing something. And that is really what I want to impress on you this morning. We are all called to do something, and we all can do something. There have been so many that have had a part in encouraging our family, and have directly impacted Violet's life as a part of this process. Even simplest of things like friends and neighbors that mowed our lawn, brought us meals, 
watched our two older children so that we could take Violet to her many doctor's appointments, notaries that drove out to help us with our paperwork, our social worker, um, or those while she was still orphaned, like Dr. Jacob, the nannies, the healing home, their many financial supporters and cleft exchange doctors, and the many, many others who advocate for and give their love, time, skills, and resources to help care for these precious little children. There are so many ways that you can be a part of caring for a vulnerable child, whether you take in an orphan or foster youth or participate in these seemingly small acts that help to strengthen and encourage those families that do. You are ultimately living out God's love for matters that are so dear to his heart. Direct actions that live out the pure and faultless religion that James talks about, caring for orphans and widows in their distress and keeping oneself clean from the world. I'd like to leave you with this final thought. It's a quote from Priscilla Schreier that has had immense encouragement for my family and will no doubt continue to encourage us throughout the journey ahead. Simply put, faith is acting like God is telling the truth. The key thought here is action. By definition, faith is not talking about or thinking about or even celebrating God's truth. It's the process of adapting your behavior, your decisions, and ultimately your whole lifestyle so that it accords with what God has asked you to do without needing to see the evidence that it will all work out in the end. Now, I certainly can't say that I've ever done this perfectly, but I can tell you that as I've chosen to act like God is telling the truth, sometimes in baby steps and sometimes in ones that feel a bit bigger and scarier, it's led me into things that I wouldn't trade for the world. I know that some of it will be hard, and honestly, very hard. Um, but I also know that this is the kind of life that I want to look back on in the end. Let's pray. Lord, I give you praise. What a marvelous picture for us to share from Carl, receive from Carl, this picture of your restoration, the gospel at work. And Lord, uh, this picture of healing, not just physically with surgery, but relationally in drawing Violet into the Dinkler family and making her a daughter and calling her their own. Thank you for this picture, Lord, that uh, points us to your heart. Thank you for this example of faith in action. Lord, show us how to respond to you. Show us how to uh, be sharpened by this family all for the glory of the risen Savior, Jesus. Amen. Simple question to start our devotional time. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, did you recognize your story in Carl and Nicole's story? Did you recognize your story as a Violet Dinkler? Because apart from Christ, you and I were once orphans. But God, those are gospel words, but God's adopting grace welcomed us into His own family. If you are a Christian, your attention should be drawn to Violet with this kind of, uh, this kind of thought that is me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. That is me. Orphans and children in foster care are not merely a societal challenge. They are a gospel challenge. Hearing Carl's story should renew our gratitude for the heart of God in drawing us into His own family and declaring us to be sons and daughters 
which should motivate us uniquely as Christians to do something about the millions of children who are parentless, who have no home in which to be loved by any parents. We're taking a break this morning from our Ephesians series to focus on today's special theme, but I'd like to still draw out a few thoughts from Ephesians, especially chapter 1 and its related letter, Colossians. When we read in Ephesians 1, as we've done over the past month, phrases like verse 3, every spiritual blessing in Christ, or phrases like verse 13, the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, a handful of key biblical words and ideas help us flesh out the details of what this salvation of God fully involves. Significant biblical words like justification. That's a legal term. It's the declaration by a judge that every believer in Jesus is righteous. And that declaration by the judge of all the earth is only possible because Jesus took the place of His people and paid the price for our sin. There's also a significant biblical word like redemption that describes the ransom paid to free God's people from bondage to sin and death. That was last week's focus, if you were with us, redeemed by the blood of the Son. That ransom payment was the very life of the Son, symbolized in His blood. And then another significant biblical thought or word is sacrifice, describing or referring back to the Old Testament rituals at the temple that allowed a life of an animal to be substituted for the life of the guilty, the sinner. Jesus was the perfect Lamb of God, the once and for all sacrifice, who willingly lay down, not on an altar, but up on a Roman cross. But there are two other terms that I just want to point our attention to this morning that are in a category uh, that's very different. Not any more significant than these words that I've just described, but different in the sense that they're not merely ideas, they're not theoretical or philosophical, they are relational at heart. They're personal. Two words, reconciliation and adoption. You and I are made by the Creator for relationship simply because, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we have been created in the image of God, and God is a relational being. He has always been from all eternity past, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, sharing perfectly and receiving perfectly love from one another. We're relational beings because we have been created by a relational God. But relationship between God and humanity has been corrupted, has been uh, twisted by sin. It's been broken. Ephesians chapter 2 and Colossians chapter 1 describe us as enemies of God, alienated from Him, not merely in disagreement, but in opposition to one another. That's why we need reconciliation. We need the healing of relationship, the rest- restoration of that communion with God to what it was always designed to be. Of course, the, um, the, the reality of reconciliation is at the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, listen to Paul in Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 22. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death 
to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from uh, accusation. Reconciliation is at the heart of the gospel. God demonstrated sacrificial love toward people who were unlovable in our sin, pouring out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, as Paul writes in Romans chapter 5. Shouldn't we, if we're followers of Jesus, with this reconciliation idea at the heart of the gospel that has rescued us, shouldn't we who have received this kind of gracious, undeserved love, shouldn't we overflow love to care for the vulnerable, to care for those who are not loved? Reconciliation. Of course, the second key word, adoption, points to an even richer relational truth because God has not reconciled us from enemies and now declare uh, now uh, declares simply that we are neutral parties. He doesn't even merely declare that we're now friends having been reconciled. No, he goes further. He adopts sinners and declares us to be sons and daughters. I, I know that that idea probably sounds familiar if you've been with us for the last month, if you've read um, bits and pieces of the Scripture that point to this reality, but it's a stunning one because we have rebelled against the King. It's stunning not only that we would be reconciled, but that God would have planned this adoptive, loving, unconditional grace from all eternity past. That's what we find in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. Carl and his wife, Nicole, individually and well before they met and got married, he shared with us, each planned far in advance to imitate the adopting heart of their heavenly Father. Having been gripped by this gospel grace, they wanted to imitate this kind of love. As Carl put it, this is faith in action, seeing and trusting the reality of God's adopting heart even towards the sinful and orienting their lives in imitation of the heart of God. How can we follow that example of faith this morning? How can we not merely be inspired, but act accordingly? Start by reading the Bible, and start by seeing that Violet's story is your story. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, are you beginning to see how alienated you are from your Creator, that you are, to use the Bible's illustration, that you are a spiritual orphan in need of family belonging? A child with, uh, picture a child with no love. That child doesn't centrally crave toys or luxury uh, homes or rich food. That child craves a, a sense of belonging. That child craves the intentional, affectionate touch of someone who will intend and promise to love that child. You have been created for this kind of love to be enjoyed with and from your Creator, God Himself, you can access that greatest treasure through faith in Jesus Christ. And then as you see the heart of God emphasized repeatedly throughout all of the Bible, are you willing to consider how you're called to exhibit the same kind of love? That's why we started Refuge 686 four years ago 
to lead us in caring for the vulnerable in imitation of the Father's heart of love. So here's faith in action. You can stay for the adult Christian ed hour, the adult Sunday school hour at 10 a.m. Carl will be interacting with Karen, sharing a a video, and uh, eager to hear some questions you may have about his family story, about the Christian Alliance for Orphans. You can stay for the 10 a.m. hour. You can ask Karen separately how you can come alongside families who are engaged in foster care even now, Karen herself included, as a single mom caring for a a challenging three-year-old little boy from a broken family. How can you support Karen Jacobson, who is on the front lines of caring for the vulnerable? How can you explore adoption or support those who are already engaged? Carl and Nicole sharing these, these little glimpses of how so many have come alongside them to enable them to uh, do what they're doing now in Violet's life. All we're doing in encouraging faith in action is pointing to the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord and then looking for opportunities to overflow the love of Christ to those who are most vulnerable in our world. Let's pray that God would guide us. Lord, from all eternity past, you intended to choose us for adoption to sonship and daughtership. The plan that is the foundation of all of world history and all of world future centrally involves you, the King of Kings, declaring sinners like us to be sons and daughters. Orphan Sunday is not just a label. We give you praise because every Sunday when we gather for worship is Orphan Sunday because you, Lord God, have rescued us. We were lost, but now we're found. We were parentless and wandering, and now we call you Abba Father. And we give you praise because it's all made possible through the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.